Valiant, Amani, track. There goes your uh, theme music right there. Now, 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 make fun now I can't unsee it. Yeah. Podcast is wrong. Anyway, screw that. Let's go. I'm ready. We'll do this thing with one hand. One hand side <laughs> behind my back. <laughs> Tr- track is ready. <laughs> track is ready. Welcome to the road team. Uh, look, can't even. No, we're not doing that. You hit record. You press record. Yeah, it's fine. Yes, we're fine. We're recording. Just, <laughs> just... Stephanie recording. <laughs> it's early. <laughs> Welcome to the road team and poutine podcast. I am MC Armani Rain. I am joined once again by the Valiant MC, the T.R.A.C. And we are here with a very, very special guest, one of the most prolific German based producers of Ooh. all time. Very good friend and just all around nice guy, the Mr. John B. How are you today? John sir? B. Good Hello, morning. Okay. I'm feeling, feeling all right today. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Other than struggle mornings, but you know, yeah, we here. <laughs> okay, so, it's, it's 3 p.m. I've already been up. I've had, I've had my lunch. Oh, I'm man. Second coffee of the day. I'm like, come on. All right. I had a coffee and drinking water. <laughs> I didn't mean to promote that. That looks right. like special water. What was that? That looked like like water. alcohol no, no, water. It looked like Guinness oh, tap water. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't put the, Guinness. Thing, the brand back on the TV. I, I would like to add, um, uh, Last week, we picked up my children from Virginia. They normally go up for the summer to their grandmothers for a month and some change. We call it Grandma Summer Camp. She's a teacher. They come back smarter. It's great. They go fishing and all that, yada, yada, yada. So we, we picked them up. So uh, because we're doing this in the morning, I didn't want to do this in the normal room that we're in because I want them to have their fare. So excuse the new location. But I thought it was extremely hilarious that I did not realize until just now, wrong side, that this <laughs> yeah. situation <laughs> going on up here is very gangster. So, yeah, what is going on up there? That's that's uh, we got that plush crown from the crayon oh, factory. There we go, and that's my daughter's favorite plush penguin. <laughs> so, we've got special day, serious all, yeah, all that hood trash I normally be talking yeah. out the window today. I can do nothing. I can say tough today. Like, you want to talk trash? I'll punch you dead in your mouth with you that in the background. It's just not. You know, <laughs> gonna keep it moving. <laughs> How's your quarantine been, Mr. B? That's <laughs> all right, really. Like, I, despite appearances, I'm kind of introverted anyway. And, you know, my day-to-day hasn't changed with that that much mm-hmm. um you know my uh, this is my studio in which is in my house Very uh, nice. behind me is where i make my tunes and then where i'm facing now is some more computers and where i do all my like day-to-day fucking mm-hmm. instagrammy shit and all that crap right. um, <laughs> so like i'm doing the same thing i just feel a bit more scared about going outside basically um and uh like as as soon as you know covid became a thing here i just my wife and I decided what were our priorities and they're basically don't catch it um, <laughs> and make sure we've got enough supplies. Right. So uh, I made it a priority to over here in the UK. Um, we have very good like online grocery delivery uh, systems. Like I don't mean through like Deliveroo or Uber Eatsy stuff. I mean, most of the main chains have for years, like um, had a very good online ordering system and delivery vans that come and everything. But um and I've always done that for our main sort of weekly shop anyway. Um, but, 
uh, when COVID happened, everyone was registering and like you couldn't get any delivery slots, you couldn't book anything in. So I quickly learned how to like game the system, learned when they released the new daily slots and stuff. And um, just basically I've been able to get grocery stuff once a week delivered and nice. going out for runs, you know, going, getting fresh air, going for walks and runs and stuff. Um, I've had to go to the post office to post merch and, and, you know, stuff that people buy from my web store. And apart from that, I've just been staying at home and spent a lot of time learning about streaming and trying to find some ways to adapt and try to earn a bit of money when I've got no gigs. Um, I've certainly been really busy and just like working all day, every day, super late, feeling like I still haven't achieved anything at the end of it, but like, at least I'm busy. Um, <laughs> it's funny, I I, we have the Instacart too, so we get a lot of our stuff delivered as well. Where are you exactly in the UK? Are you in a... So, um, I, I live in a town called Maidenhead, uh, which is directly west out of London. Um, right. It's pretty close to Heathrow Airport. Like I can, on a good day, if traffic's clear, I could I could leave my house and arrive at Heathrow Airport in 15 minutes. Oh, so nice. It's far enough away to like not hear all the noise and shit, right. um, but it's close enough to be useful when you've got gigs to fly to. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's where I am. It's, it's an all right town not a lot going on here but it suits me my parents still live in this town as well like just a few minutes away nice. so it's good that i've been around to, to be able to see them and help them with stuff so awesome yeah. well that's cool uh your studio is very clean i, I like oh. that it's very a, crisp i'm a little jealous <laughs> neon blue it's I've been getting a bit ocd with it <laughs> it's like, i think everyone's studio is extra clean if, if, if the camera was a bit lower Mine is not. <laughs> And you could see like under the desk there's i mean i've got to the point where there's so many cables they can't be i mean they're as tidy as they can be like in championship <laughs> but they're fucking everywhere and i'm still like my amazon account like throughout covid especially doing streaming and all the extra webcams and cameras and stand adapters like the amount of shit i've had to buy just to like have an elevated stream that no one fucking cares about anyway if i was standing, <laughs> in, if I was standing in a kitchen in my fucking socks with nothing going on in the background i've seen that the majority yeah most people do it like that and it's totally fine that's totally fine and like, i've gone to all this extra effort it doesn't fucking matter no one <laughs> like, <laughs> i've got lots of extra usb cables now and more tripods and, yeah. and i've learned to do more things but <laughs> like we all built screen screens and all this craziness yeah. and like jumped down it was just like our mentality of production we're just like we gotta add all this yeah. stuff and then someone yeah. just throws up a deck in their kitchen and you're just like all right and they have like mad followers <laughs> oh man i'm following this one dude and on instagram and he has been doing stuff in his bathroom uh <laughs> no no like legit like he's actually he's ironically uh, or sort of his name is his, his, his instagram name is kink 303 and he does like techno and that's, well, you know, like, but like, you know. <laughs> right. yeah, like, an, you know, so like analog sad. and stuff like that. But it's fun. It's like kind of housey techno. Um, but yeah, all in his bathroom. And uh, I was like, there you go. That's it. Right yeah. there. The disposable nature of our dance yeah. music. <laughs> that's a pretty flush it down no well you know it's, it's a yeah. commentary yeah. on people's just listening habits not the actual <laughs> um mj, MJ sends his love he will be in the chat obviously oh. so mj yeah, says his love he was very excited we're birthday buddies aren't we i think is that he's what like it is july, yeah he's like july the 14th yeah and i'm july exactly. the 12th um yeah 
something like that. It was right about the same time. Yeah, it was, he was uh, very excited to to point out that you shouted him out in the DJ mag one time. He saved the article. He's he sends a super love, man. <clears throat> so I want to I want to uh, I want to bring this back back because the the sort of the evolution of the John V story in drone bases. Um, I, I kind of watched from the beginning. It was kind of it, it was fa- it was kind of fascinating to see because you obviously are not the uh, uh, the typical or stereotypical uh, drone base uh, producer uh, on the surface. Um, so take us back to when you were getting your tunes signed for the first time. How did that? How did you like? I, I, it was uh, it was SS that that that. Um, that kind of found you first, right? Yeah, I mean, my first first couple of things came out um, through through a record that w- um, a label from my hometown uh, called Shoebox Records, and there was a little record store in my town uh, that was kind of upstairs from a skate shop. And there's a guy called Adrian who worked there who uh, worked under the name SDR, and uh, they mm-hmm. run a label called Shoebox SDR and Subsonic. And I used to, like when I was sort of 16, 17, I'd, every day when I was walking home from school, I'd stop off in this little record store and take in my cassette demos and go, like, Adrian, can you listen to my tune, please? And like, <laughs> it was always like weird, stupid, fast techno acid, you know, stuff. I didn't really know what was what. And I just knew I liked stuff. Um, so he would bless him, you know, he'd, he'd sit there and I'd be like, wait for this bit. It's really good. And he's like, yeah, mate. Okay. I mean, you know, he, he was quite a big jungle DJ at the time and everything. And like, he gave me, you know, his, his patience uh, got a lot of respect for that. Um, and they actually released my first couple of tunes, which kind of gave me the confidence to confidence to send out proper demo tapes. Mm. Um, and he sent stuff out to about like 15 labels at the time, like heads, moving shadow, um, I can't remember now, like a bunch of stuff, but obviously SS and he was the one that really picked me up and was really, really, really for like so long, you know, released my first album, like brought me on my first de- proper DJ gigs. It was him putting me on and first time playing in America. It was him taking me on the world to drum and bass tour, like mm. on a few of them. And just, um, I was, I, I still think about this from, from time to time. I was thinking about it again, like literally yesterday. I was like, fucking hell man I owe so much to SS and like I didn't really appreciate it at the time like I was always I was just so you know everyone sort of has this when you're focused on what you're trying to do in your career and what you want to be doing mm-hmm. at the time I like I wasn't so I mean I was grateful and I looked up to him everything but I I don't know. I've, I I I don't feel like at the time I ever really said, "Mate, thanks. This is so cool. Thanks for bringing me to it's DP." The, uh, or whatever. And yeah, like, I think I it's... haven't seen him in person for a while, and I really just want to give him a hug and be like, "Fucking hell, mate!" Like, sorry, I was a bit of a self-absorbed twat when I was younger, and I just was running around <laughs> doing my thing. Like, you are appreciated. Um, we we had him on a couple of weeks ago, and he specifically said how angry he was with you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him plenty of times. He was at Sun and Bass, I think. Last time was at Sun and Bass, he was there. Two years ago. I was there. Yeah. I was there, yeah. 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 Um, And we're in a minibus and things like that. I had a bit of a chat. Oh, It's always, whenever you cross paths with people, you're always like, everyone's busy and even at festivals and all that. You're like, oh, I've got to go, but I'll catch you later. And then when you come back, they're talking to someone else. And And a whole bunch of madness. Yeah. First world problems. Sun and Bass problems. 
I, I, I miss that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. it, was, it was the time we all, people don't realize, like, uh, as much as we're all friends, too, that's where we sat and chat. You know what I mean? Like, the green rooms yeah. and the back of the festivals, we all As much as we could, though, places. you know? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that was a, a crazy campfire we all sat around at times. Mm. And, you know, we haven't yeah, had that in a while. We're solitary. I mean, I'm, I'm quite solitary here. Like, there's no other drum and bass heads in my town, really. Right. And, you know, I don't really have any close friends that are in the scene and sort of co-worker vibes. It's, I've said this before in similar conversations, but you must share this, this same thing as well. It's really weird talking to your friends about your experiences. It's kind of isolating, <sighs> you know, because you don't want to brag, you know, the, the sort of the, the analogy I always think of is that Thursday night, you're in the pub, you're in the bar with your mates and you're like, hey, man, cool, you know, chilling. And, and you're like, oh, well, got to go off you know, got a gig this weekend. And then you sort of see them on Monday and they're like, oh, hey, John, you know, how was your weekend? And like, you know, back in the day, I, I wanted to be like, it was fucking amazing. I went to Moscow, <laughs> yeah. I was, was 10,000 people. I shagged all these girls. I made loads of money. I got really drunk. And then I got on a plane. I got in first class because they upgraded me. And it was amazing. And I met this famous person. And then I went to this other place. I had a really nice dinner. And then I was on TV and then I played another rave and it was huge. And they took me the bodyguard and I saw a Russian man with a gun. And, oh my God. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah, but you, you basically you just go, oh yeah, it was good. You know, gigs were all right. Yeah. You're like, how's you yours? And like, oh, we had yeah. a barbecue. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, it's always interesting too. And we've had these talks many a times, but it, even like little things and it's, it's never you never mean it to come off that way you're just excited too yeah i mean it was i'll sit here and be watching a movie with the wife and like some far off place and i'll be like holy shit i've been there and she's like yeah okay i get it <laughs> I'm like no I was just, <laughs> all right <laughs> never mind <laughs> it's just like, yeah yeah but it is right. interesting. so when you about our life isn't it it's just mm -hmm. yeah pretty much not anymore when, not I, anyway. <laughs> No one does. Sorry, sorry. Um, Only got the memories now. Oh. <laughs> it'll come. Will it come back though? That's yeah. the thing. That's the weird. It's going to come. Of back. course, it'll come it's back. It's going to come back. Oh man. Anyway, uh, so getting leading up to when you started to become quite um, quite the force, uh, there was you were embracing aesthetics visually and musically that that people in drum and bass were quite split on. Um, you were kind of a polarizing force in some circles um, because you were willing to sort of cast a wider net, I think, than a lot of people, like mm. sonically. Um, so I remember when I first heard you and I first saw a picture of you, it was when you were quite a bit younger. You had glasses, you had your the big blonde kind of frizzy hair. And then the next time I saw Pressure you, you were like, and then the next time I saw a picture of you, you, were, you had like morphed into your fully formed sort of John D persona that a lot of yeah. people um, were like, well, what is, what is happening? I remember that actually when I emceed for you in Buffalo, a lot of people were kind of like, what's, gonna, what's this set going to be like? Because there was... <laughs> at, yeah. at, it could go one like, of several ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. sure. At the time, it was like this, like there was, there was like trance coming, like trance coming into the into the mix, and like uh, like different kind of like electro, and like you had a very like the you had the, you had started like adopting the whole '80s aesthetic, yeah. and people were like really like, what's gonna happen with this set? 
and they were like, how are you, are you, are you going to MC for him? I was like, yeah, I'm going to MC for him. Uh, and they're like, how's that going to work? Because at that time, there's a lot of vocals in your sets and people were like, what's going to ha happen? So how did you kind of start feeling adventurous enough to start pulling all of these things into your musical mix and um, persona? It's, it's weird. Looking back on it, I, I don't know if it would have happened if it was me now. Like, I, I think a lot more about how things will be received and, you know, um, analyze, you know, the, looking at the analytics and the, the relative mm -hmm. success of actions and activities and stuff. Back then, I was just excited to do things that I thought were cool and I wanted to push and I wanted to do and I wanted people to hear. Um, and um, I, what initially attracted me to drum and bass was that I could see it could work sounding lots of different ways when different i first ways. Heard it, it was the jazzy side mm -hmm. that i was like wow there were little hints of people like alex reese and, the, and there was some sort of jazzy stuff coming on i was like oh i could do some of that because i was quite into noodly jazz like or i thought i was like my piano lessons and stuff um and then sort of electro -y vibes even in my first album there are a few electro sort of leaning tracks yeah, um, that i liked and i've been getting into 80s stuff more um, and was just trying out all sorts of stuff and the weird Latin stuff, which is super cringy now, some of that shit. Um, <laughs> like really embarrassing. Like, um, but then the electric, I think the main change happened really was when Electro Clash happened, like that movement mm. around 2000. Yeah. That, that kind of, I'd been looking at, you know, like Bowie and Madonna and the way they had a very strong visual image and often changed that when they did new albums, like it was a new image that went along with, like a reinvention that went along with a new album project or something. Oh, yeah. And I always thought that was cool. Um, I've never really nailed that. I just sort of did, went quite electro and sort of stuck with it in imagery. Like I've sort of put, moved away from that as a look a bit now. I mean, I still wear makeup and my hair, but I tend to wear sort of not. <laughs> when I look back at, again, some of the clothes I was wearing, like it was very sort of, stage clothes sort of a bit like clownish almost like but i mean i don't <laughs> that, care. that was the 80s man it, that was, was like it yeah, worked. yeah it, was, it just worked yeah, it did yeah. worked at the time i did it in but I, if i did it now like imagine sort of the dog <laughs> jump up in england they'd be like who the fuck is this like well they'd say that about me now anyway but i was gonna say, I was gonna say you've yeah. been through a bit of that <laughs> you know i just want to add that my classic moment with john b had to be a couple years ago on la chinta beach and he was rocking this huge Carlton t-shirt. Oh, yes. And yeah. honestly, it was unexpected, I, to say the least, the set that was played. It was a proper 80s set, but it was drum and bass. And it was like, wait, is this also going to be drum and bass too? Is this? <laughs> and then it was just left and right. And the crowd yeah. lost their minds. I was that like, was Yo, what is this? So like- Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so like, <laughs> son and bass, um, you know, usually at Sun and Bass, if you're there long enough, mm -hmm. you get to do two sets. Like, so yeah. I'll always do a proper drum and bass set, which usually ends up being at Amber Night, like the outdoor right. thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the beach one, they always ask me to do, you know, an alternative set. Sometimes I've just done a classic set or something, but um, my mission for that one was meant to be a kind of a, an 80s set. But what I did at the end was, so I started with proper just 80s stuff, but like cool sort of four, mm -hmm. four sort yep. of banging 80s. Yep. And then I switched it up and for the second half, I just played all the bootleg 80s remixes I'd made over the years that I hadn't played out in my sets for a long time. And 
I thought because it was at daytime beach, like right. it's, and also it was that I think kind of the sets either side of me had been more traditional drum and bass ones as well. So I thought, wow, you know, uh, if there's a time to go a bit crazy, that's the one, like Sun and Bass. But then again, it's it's really risky somewhere like Sun and Bass, especially that year, because that was a year when it really really blew up and it was very very busy and there were a lot more kind of younger uk ravers right. there yeah who possibly wouldn't know who i was really you know or they just be oh up all night mate you're a bunger like, <laughs> like what the <laughs> who is this guy why is he what is this shit you know um and it's really risky when and even when i play old school stuff now it's really risky because if people if that's the only thing time they've ever seen me playing if they're new new drama bass fans they'll just write me off as sort of old school dj or something that i only like because I play Sunday night streams where I only play vinyl. If that's all I think I ever do, I'm like, great, that's it. I've kissed my festival career goodbye. Oh um, man, it's, I'll, it's, it's weird. I was gonna say, uh, by the way, people were singing every song. I say you were pretty safe that day, at least. You know, there may have been a few, <laughs> yeah, it was good. detractors on the side, but the bulk, everybody was waiting for every record. And I remember just sitting, I was behind you at the bar looking at Colton go up like this, and I was just like, whoa, this is what. What's going on here? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Especially so when everyone's it. probably still either still fucked up from the night before and having from the night there. before. Like, yeah. Yeah, somebody was laid out on the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was crazy, man. It was always <laughs> a journey, never knowing. Because in the beginning, too, when I first saw you come on the scene and when you were coming to Philly or New York or things like that, it was like, um, I had no idea in the beginning. So, like, my first experience with you, I, I was, I was like, all right, what? What just happened? Like we had this whole night <laughs> that was one way, and all of a sudden you got on, and the entire mood switched, and I was yeah. like, "Okay." Right. 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 The crowd shuffled out, but <laughs> a and new one came in. Like, it was yeah. just like it was just crazy, but it was funny because like even even early on when I was like, "What what is happening right now?" and I'd have like people that brought me up like, "Yo, no, this dude is the guy." Like you know what I mean? It's like we all look up to what he's doing you've always been regarded as one of the most i say prolific but like one of the most like technically sound producers out in the game i've had goldie sit me down and go through a long tantrum of just like <laughs> no john b is the greatest dude ever like you know and then we'd had years after that where then it became i didn't even know what set you'd pull up with because there'd be times mm. you'd do the electro thing and then there's times you'd come in and just completely tear out on some like and it was just like you were so versatile in everything you did kind of comes to like judging where i'm playing like the city right. and the club like i'm still like that now like in a perfect world i play a lot more electro-y and weird and interesting stuff but it's a bad move to do that somewhere where it won't go down well um, um, like at the peak of my electro-y stuff i could do that a lot more because it was really what people were expecting when they came to see me um nowadays it's kind of like i have to sort of re-educate people of like that part of my my career like and i certainly don't think i could have got a way with doing any of the freaky deaky stuff if i hadn't like got a few more sort of acceptable kind of bangers under my belt like if i hadn't made up all night and like a lot of my earlier stuff like sight beyond and secrets the one that groove rider signed if i hadn't done some good solid stuff like that and showed i showed where my heart was and that i knew what proper drummer bass was and mm. how important it is um you need to do stuff like that if you want the freedom to try other things as well 
Um, What's funny is you name those things as if they were just like small things entered to the scene. <laughs> They're like some of the best drum bass things of all time. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it was, it, that was more than just showing your heart was in it, man. That was <laughs> definitive shit right there, you know? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, so, uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was going to bring uh, up the twisted the awkward zoom silence. No, no, no. I was, I was like, should I bring that up now? I... I've, got, I've got one of those like gamer keyboards with lights on it. And if there's a flipping rhythm, there's a flipping oh, you got the, like the, normally moths go on your screen and this thing's going on with bloody keyboard. <laughs> Armani, what were you going to say? I was going to bring up the twisted individual thing. If there were times where like, I felt that you were purposely making things to prove a point, like that was a moment too. That, yeah. I'm not to bring yeah. up. I still feel a bit bad about that. Cause sort of, I don't know how it affected him. I've never really spoken to him about it, but like, it was a bit of a bullying dick move on my part really, but it wasn't meant to be like, I was just trying to have fun. And like, it, it was a reaction against some stuff at the time. I just, um, I'd, I, when I made Blandwagon Poos, I'd had this idea in my head that, um, you know, half the time I was making, making, <laughs> making tracks with really big, ambitious intros. And I still feel like that now. You put, it's kind of the same way I was talking about attitudes towards putting all the effort into streaming and everything. You know, the, the idea for Blandwagon Poos originally was make a track with a big, ambitious intro and then just literally go on the mic and be like, ah, fuck this shit. You know, they don't want it. They just want some wobble, wobbly shit. And then just switch into something completely unrelated. I mean, a lot of drum and bass is like that. You have an intro, mm -hmm, for sure. and it just switches into something completely like the the modern foghorn style of mixing. You'll hear there's you know, foghorn rings supreme, and then you just then the style of mixing. You just literally cross over to brr, and it was like, oh my god, what a genius! <laughs> oh my god, no one else is DJing like that now. What did he do? He played a song up to the breakdown, and when it happened. He quickly switched into another track. It just goes, oh my, mind blown. Oh, I'm gonna do that too. And then, yeah, but it was kind of, it was like that. I thought oh, I'm gonna make a track with a, a big sort of trancey intro, and then just switch it up. And then I thought, oh, I'll make it topical, like, because I thought it was just a bit lame that Twisted was mad at Distorted Minds for making that T minus. They'd done a T minus ten remix or something that sounded. Mm -hmm, right. It sounded like twisted, but different and like kind of heavier, kind of better. And he took a fair, you know, whatever, you know. But, and I thought because we were all on the same label, people would understand it was a joke and whatever. But the main mistake I made was I kind of gave a clip of it to some like Dogs on Acid dub, uh, some dub, some dub platey thing. Dogs on Acid some, is a bad I, thing. <laughs> there, was, there was something that was, I don't even know if it was Dogs on Acid or... There was this other linked one that was like a dub platey place or something. I put a clip on there and then there was a thread on Dogs on Acid. And I went out to Swerve um, and by the time I got home about five in the morning, there was this thread on DOA had gone to 10 pages and everyone was going crazy. Like people had been phoning each other and all this while I was just out getting pissed at Swerve. <laughs> um, and I hadn't had a chance to like phone SS or, you know, tell twisted and be like, are you all right with this mate i'm not you know um so i kind of fucked up there and whatever but it's funny because i don't know how how it was perceived elsewhere but to a lot of us it wasn't even that deep it was just like oh yeah. wow like 
you know, it was just a music. I don't know, maybe it's the hip hop in us that we're just used to that shit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I mean but, it, 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 it was, there, there were a whole bunch of reasons I made it. I was like pissed off that you can put a lot of effort into a tune and it doesn't really matter. You can just make something cheesy and easy. I kind of wanted to show how easy it was to make a formulaic sort of jump up of the time track. I even like, if you look at the layout of the tune, it doesn't even adhere to the normal four, eight bar stuff. I was just like, ah, fuck it. And put all the switch ups in different positions. Like I just did it as a a joke because I was annoyed with some stuff and it doesn't matter at what it doesn't matter where we are in drum and bass. There is perennially going to be a whole bunch of drone bass out there that is like that. It's like you know yeah. fodder for spoofing and making fun yeah, of. And yeah. It's meme worthy, I guess, in the, the modern. So anyway, like I thought, despite what some people might think from me having made tunes like that or whatever, I love all kinds of drum and bass. I don't play it all, but I don't think any is shit. I don't look down on any. Um, when I did my Star Trek set, I played quite. A a lot of modern jump up stuff, a lot of stuff you wouldn't expect me to. And I love it, you know. Um, and when I first started DJing, when I was still a student, uh, that was when there was a lot more elitism and, you know, Fotex stuff and, and Source Direct and all that. That was what I really mm. liked. But there was a lot of kind of what people were saying was cheesy jump up then, like sort of Aphrodite stuff, like um, that Jesus. kind of sound. Um, and I used to play loads of that at my student parties <clears throat> to get like the non drummer bass heads into it to to bring them into the genre and show them there's all sorts of stuff it's stuff all good fun in. it doesn't all have to be really serious everything has its place it's valid you know Whatever. that's what i i mean to be honest with you that's exactly what i got from it and i felt that that moment was healthy for the scene i, I that's yeah. why i say i take away the the other part of it like i you know when you mentioned it and you said you felt bad about it i was like oh shit i didn't even think about that maybe i mm. should have brought it up but the point of of bringing it up was the simple fact that that's what we took from it, it was like mm. look man like we all love all of this and at any point in time we can make it it's not a production skill thing it was about what you love to do you know and especially as americans like a lot of us took that to heart like you know like because we got pushed to the side sometimes we're like no we love this just as much too you know so the fact that you were like able like i can pull this out at any point in time and make it it's not an issue you know (laughs) it's like so i thought that was a really cool moment for drum and bass that always stuck out with me you know yeah i loved it because my whole the little crew i ran with was we were like the the metalheads like good looking records kind of crew like that's what we like it was deep it was deeper drum bass right and like <laughs> intelligent and the other crew and the other crew in 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 our town was like more on like the that that contemporary jump up and raga and yeah. stuff like that and like you know and we that got was early division definitely wasn't it oh for sure yeah and, and it was Everywhere. one of those things where like we our, our like little crew got was was continually kind of like I don't know, like kind of, you know, shunted to the side a lot. And we felt like disrespected, even though we had the radio show in the city and stuff like that. And it became like this weird thing where we were like, we almost became like anti-Raga and stuff like that. Raga, mm-hmm. however you say it. And it was weird. And even though I had Raga mixtapes, the house, I had like, you know, Raga Jungle Anthems, volume one, two, and three. Like I, I loved it, but I almost became like, I almost came to resent it for a little while. Cause number, number one, I was young. 
And, you know, number two is one of those things where like, we viewed this as, oh, this has to be the easier way forward. You just throw in like some crazy fucking ragged vocal over like uh, just a bass line and just and drums and the done. whole crowd goes nuts. But meanwhile, we play stuff that's like serious music and, you know, people like, don't <laughs> respond. So we, we all yeah. felt like some type of way. It, we finally actually with those guys, we finally like got our heads out of our ass and like we all talked and we we're just like, this is stupid, mm-hmm. you know, but it just... Especially There's always America. this, this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's like, that was like one of those things that was like very, like, I feel like endemic of like drone bass in the States at the time yeah. where like people like immediately were trying to grasp at some sort of like identity through drone bass. And there's only a few people out there that weren't like, like Dara wasn't doing that. Like Dara was intentionally playing everything. And he you still know, does and that up to this day. Exactly. Sure. Which is why he's always been like one of the most respected people around, you know, it's just right. It just reminds me of that time. But I remember dog barking was something that I can't remember. I think maybe DJ Cable and Buffalo came up with the idea. Long before dogs on acid, he coined the term dog barking about a certain type of drum bass at that time where everything sounded like dogs barking. Like that Warhead remix. Like I don't, I feel like the Warhead remix was a, a perfect example of that whole dog barking thing. It was just... <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's Bob, I just tearing this new this, this phrase down. Well, I've never heard. I've before. never heard of that. <laughs> and the second they said it, I was like, there oh, is, I think, there oh, is oh, a yeah. certain type of bass sound that does remind me of dogs barking, but it's hard to. There's a sort of an electro-y house track that had one in, but I can't remember the name, so this is a pointless. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, it was just, it just was became a like, oh, let's just make this bass as distorted as yeah. possible. And and it's like, fire. Oh, it is. No, that's that just, good. It, it totally <laughs> Let me hit record. Is. <laughs> right. is, it, it became, yeah, and it became the dominant kind of, you know, like neuro kind of ran with that, like yeah. after post Ed Russian Optical and, and it became the dominant thing. So like, you know, it was just, but we like, we didn't hate it or anything. We just kind of laughed at it. Like it was kind of, so it's, it's, it's a dog barking track, you know. The views of value not is not necessarily a <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> Oh, this, is back, this is back in like what 2000 99 2000 2001 oh, so, all right come on we got we were young and stupid super important question um what is your bucket list food <laughs> fee food food no we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk fees on this but quite the segue there armani rain yeah that was <laughs> i like the hard food. left you know what i mean i like the cut you know, we were just talking about how you start with a melodic intro and just completely switch it. I was just in, in, you know, embodying that whole situation. Plus, we ask everybody, and I was thinking about it the whole time. Like, oh, we forgot to ask John. My bucket list, bucket bucket list, list food. food. Like, yeah, what? If mind, I was going to die tomorrow, what would I took eat? Took yeah. out of my mouth. See? That's what mean. Uh, it varies from day to day. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a bit fucking joyless. Um, <laughs> in a lot of respects in my life, to be honest. Like, lot of, I've gone through phases where, you know, um, when I was younger and like sort of not worrying about saving money and everything, I was a lot more into food and going out and like trying really posh stuff. And like, you know, I've been to some really nice Michelin restaurants and I love it and everything. But now, as I get a bit older and, um, you know, conscious that everything costs money and you've got to save money and everything. I'm like, well, why would I want? To? It just seems like such a crazy idea to to. This is because you know, 
I assume I would be paying for this food that I would eat before I die. <laughs> no, no, we don't no, know no, how no, he no, got no, it. No, 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 no. It could be abracadabra. If you were like, this is the, I need this before I It's the enterprise, the enterprise replicator is going to make this for you. What do you say? Computer, what? <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I'm like, you know what? I uh, maybe it's to do with like, I, I, so I quit drinking like a, almost oh. a couple of years ago now. Okay. And I think part of that is like a mindset change of you know, hey, you know, John, would you like a drink? And my answer is like, well, why would I? Why would I want to drink anything? You know, mm-hmm. here's all the list of reasons why I wouldn't. And like, with food's obviously different because it doesn't, you know cost loads of money and make you depressed and make you fat unless you're eating like blobs of chocolate and stuff but um in the same sort of way i'm like well i don't know just i'll just eat something to keep going (laughs) 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 american barbecue i'd love a good brisket made by someone who knew what they were doing Mm. because that's that's a rare a rare thing to get i like i like american barbecue because it's you know, really an aficionado thing and it's really complicated, but it's kind of simple, not expensive food. There's an art to it. Um, or yeah, yeah, I think American barbecue, if someone, okay. if I could just say, can I have some, something really special? Because I wouldn't feel guilty about like, ooh, it's a, an arugula salad with a, a three-day <laughs> sous vide tomato jus over a aged pigeon breast with a so quail's enough, egg. A good yeah. segue into that. I actually have a friend who mentioned the fact that you make your own barbecue. Is that true? Yeah. Um, yeah. What? I make my own barbecue sauce, sauce yeah, and right. hot sauce as well. Um, I have, I do, I do do low and slow barbecue cooking as well, but oh. obviously only when I've got the time to right. put into it. Um, I bought myself a nice smoker a couple of years ago. Oh no, it was my birth. Sorry. It was a birthday present. <laughs> uh, <laughs> quite nice. Like I'm one of those bullet smokers. Um, but it's not um yeah it's one of those ones you have to babysit very carefully you can't just um it's not like a traeger pellet smoke or anything so it's one of the reasons i don't do smoking too much because you have to wake Process, up every couple yeah, of hours sure. yeah it's a thing Process is something, yeah. yeah something special hey so hey can we go back for a second you you mentioned that you you quit drinking you want to talk about that a yeah. little bit yeah i guess um it's sort of i had a weird little health scare so when was it it's end of 2018 or something um and i was supposed to be going to america for a one gig weekend um i think maybe somewhere in virginia or whatever like the travel was going to be a bit of a hassle i wasn't going to get much sleep so i wasn't really looking forward to it um and my wife had got ill like had some kind of weird vertigo thing and we were worried maybe she had um like we there was a few things we were worried about and it was it turned out to be an inner ear infection but we thought maybe she had low blood pressure. So I went and bought one of those blood pressure machines, um, just like they have in a doctor's office, and it, but an electric one. And she was fine. I tried it on me, and mine was really quite high. Um, and I was like, fuck. Um, so I told my doctors, and they're like, oh, this is high. And it, was a, it wasn't my normal doctor. It was a stand-in. And she basically overreacted a bit and sent me to the hospital. Oh. Um, and I had to go to like, the emergency thingy. And they just checked it again and did a quick blood test to check that I was okay. And then they just prescribed me blood pressure medication and sent me home. But like it was, I was kind of anxious at the time, um, which maybe just like hyped it up. But that that was kind of the kicker that really gave me the final thing, final reason I needed to like stop drinking. 
just sort of made me worry about my health when in reality it had just sort of gone up a bit high just because of weird shit i don't know because it's complete well it's completely under control my blood pressure is under control now like completely normal really i have like i'm on the lowest dose of any blood pressure medication you can be on but um i've just been drinking a, a lot like most days just crept up on me just drinking wine most nights uh you know i'm 43 now i was like mm -hmm. i'm not gonna keep on with this every bloody night like i'm putting so much weight on um and like feeling had had some quite bad depressive periods and like sort of feeling as though alcohol was sort of part of that you know waking up with a hangover every morning just starts your day off on a vibe anyway yeah um, for sure. and I was, was it like, getting in the oh, way was it getting in the way of like life in general in no, terms well, of like you know if you had to perform or anything uh, or nah, that's the, that's the thing like you know um i'd I knew I, I wanted to like at least cut down or something. And I just found it hard, like, because um, mm. I liked I liked drinking wine at the time. Um, but you know, most people that quit drinking, there's something's happened. Um, you know, they've they've drunk, driven, or like been beef, having fights, or arguing with their wife, or lost their job, or can't perform, or whatever. I had absolutely <laughs> none of that. Like, I had this the small like health scare thing with my blood pressure, um, which. I'll just I'll say like that that helped sort of. Sure. You know, you it fast, was the final light bulb thing. We're like, come on, John, you got to sort something out here. Um, and yeah, I just sort of I just decided I'm like it's time to time to stop. I would like a life free from alcohol. Like I can do everything I want. I was doing before. I can go to all the bars and the clubs and have fun. It's just I'll sleep better and I'll lose weight and I'll I won't be depressed as much. Um, Pretty much. I can hopefully wake up in the morning sometimes and not feel shit. <laughs> like I'm still working on that. I still find it hard <laughs> to get up early. Um, but you, yeah, the only thing I miss is um, sort of not, I, I guess I like sort of drinking to just sort of the anesthetic effect at the end of the night, just to like chill and just drink a fucking bottle of wine with dinner right. and be like, oh, nice. And, and cause I've never done drugs. I've never smoked weed or anything. Um, it was my only sort of thing for just like blocking everything sort of, out. So yeah. I'm still adjusting to, to that. I think it's partly why I'm just working so much and staying up so late just working because I find it hard to find a way to cool down and relax. But I'm, st I'm like a million times happier um, but having that out of my life. For me, like it's definitely best for me. Like, for that. I've, I've cut down drinking tremendously and it wasn't because of any kind of spiritual awakening either. It was just kind of like, you know, why? <laughs> it's like it's not. I think there, there comes a point in our comes a point in our lives and as performers as well. Like no one wants to see like you know it's hard enough as sort of middle aged men jumping around on stage. You know there's a voice <laughs> they don't want to see like no one wants to see a fat middle aged man out of control who's like can't control his drinking and is like a bit of a disgrace or like you know if you're going to be there at, our, at the point at this point in our, our lives, I think we need to be like more pro and like. You know, I've always been my absolute best, yep. and you can when you're trashed, and it, and if it's part of your, your persona and everything, it's fine. But like, I don't know. Even, I, I uh, like, even that's kind of yeah, weird. I yeah. mean, I, I made a conscious effort like, when I started touring with Nick. Um, two things 
while drinking was fun on stage and it, for whatever, and you get loose and you act crazy and yada, 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 there was a point, mm. a little bit of professionalism where it was like, all right, I, I need to be completely focused, one. And then I started realizing I felt better. So it was like, I might have a, a drink before we start, but like, there were times where we didn't even do that. I maybe drink yeah. after, but just drinking water during the whole time yeah. and just feeling energized through that just felt better. And just, I was more yeah. clear in what I was saying. It wasn't, yeah. you weren't relying on just vibe so much anymore either. It was right. just like, I'm here to do yeah. what I do. You know what I mean? So. And when you've got uh, a flight to get on in the morning. Oh, oh uh, Lord. Just life, <laughs> life, life feels nicer. Where, get you know, started. in the last couple of years, um it's been beautiful like i'll do a gig and i could wake up in the morning i'm like oh this is nice yeah oh, <laughs> what is this walking walking through an airport sober like you know non-hungover in the morning oh i'll just have a coffee good morning how are you oh how yes you? Okay. i don't mind if i do it's it's so much i mean i loved the time before as well when i was like drunk and crazy and and stuff but um it's nice to be different with that now as well yeah i was talking to mc kappa about about this kind of thing and now that we're all getting older and stuff you know and kappa wakes up every day at 5 a.m good man 5 a.m he's like i have more sh and he sounded like he sounded like an army commercial he's like i have more done by 8 a.m than most people get yeah. done all day yeah. he's like i was like well what happens if you got a gig and you stay up late and he's like well well i might sleep in a little bit but generally I'll wake up if yeah. I've only slept a couple hours and I'll just try to go about my day as best I can and go to bed early when I get a chance yeah. to try and catch up. And I'm like, That's, I, 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 I really, to really want to go that way. Like um, yeah. I've, that I went down goal. a whole rabbit hole of like productivity stuff and you know, all these, there's a whole world of like motivational people and people on YouTube. Like this is how I start my day at 5am. I wake <laughs> up and I meditate for 10 minutes and then I drink a time at tea and i do my breathing exercises i go for a five mile run then i come back <laughs> i do some journaling and like can we uh can we do the rest of this interview with you doing that accent and then us doing some sort of british impression <laughs> right then john can you tell us about up all night then yeah. uh, no. well when i made up all night <laughs> i'll tell you how i made up all night uh, 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 when oh, i'm no. doing i'll fuck it up yeah. <laughs> Holy oh my god so like anyway i was in la at the time and um, i just got back from the beverly center and my friend got me this new bass sound and i was like oh my god that is sick so i loaded in my sampler and i was like beep 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 and then it just happened and i made this tune and i went and spin it at a nightclub and my girls were all like john that tune is sick and i was like i know i know i'm gonna send it to goldie it'll be amazing <laughs> <laughs> You guys awake I, was, I was listening for like the I was listening for the English to slip through. You were good at that. Uh, you were too good, good at that, I think. Like it, it became uh, so good, I really was just listening to the story at that point. You were like, like yeah, yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Did we all freeze her? Oh no. So, some of the first big American parties uh, Drew, I played through Yeah, I remember his name. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I mean, I didn't live Greensboro, in North Carolina. Yeah, I was about a thousand miles away from there. So I never went there. I, I, but I remember his name coming up quite a bit. Yeah. I remember talking no, I never I used to, talk to Focus in Greensboro a lot. I think it was in Greensboro. He, well, he's he, in North he, Carolina. So yeah, I, I do he, remember he, his name coming up. 
he probably wouldn't realize it, but he was definitely a big sort of patron for my career early on because he, the reason I, I mention is him is because he would phone up the first initial contacts of him trying to book me was phoning the phone number that was on my records for my label to try and find out my booking information, which was just a landline that rung in my bedroom with an answer phone. And I thought it was someone prank calling me um, the first couple of times because he'd leave a message. He's like, hi there, this is Drew McMath calling from North Carolina. I was inquiring if I could book you to play in my party. <laughs> like, uh, sorry, that went a bit in, like Texas-y. Really there, but, um, but anyway, yeah. That's the, the funny accent vibe. But um, that was a mad one because him booking me, he would come in with like solid offers for a good gig in North Carolina, in Greensboro, that we knew would be good. And then we could build tours off the back of that. Um, and there, there's a few like unsung heroes of American drum and bass yes. that have helped people a lot, especially international artists, that they may not have realized how helpful it is to just have like one a good solid gig that then agents can then go and like build a little tour around and, and stuff. And were there were there cities that in particular that you always really liked playing when, when you came over to North America? Back in my youth, it was mainly to do with where there were girls I knew that I could track, <laughs> <laughs> or like you know if I had a girl that I was seeing or something. So I don't know. Um, Baltimore, I always liked Baltimore and oh, DC. Yeah. Baltimore had um, like just had a good group of friends there, um, and you know Sonar was beautiful and Bug. <laughs> Buzz, oh, no, like yeah, Buzz, oh my god. Buzz is um, my favorite. Yeah, I loved it. New, New York, I didn't like at the beginning because it was so alien. You know, I remember going with World of Drum and Bass and our mm -hmm. first, first couple of gigs there. It was one of those ones where the gig was a bit up in the air, even though we were on tour. Like, it was it in Brooklyn? In. I don't know because didn't, we didn't even end up going on those oh, first okay. couple of times and sort of the accommodation had been a bit crap. So, like the first few times I went to New York, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, right. But then I really got to love it. Um, there, was a, there was a period of a couple of years where I was quite seriously dating a girl that lived in the East Village. So I'd, I'd go on like, American trips and then I'd go and stay with her kind of midweek. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time in New York and really got to, well, I think I got to know it or as much as a guy like me can. East Village is perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, lovely. Yeah. Like, back in those days, it was. I think it's a bit more gentrified now, but mm -hmm. like, back then it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I love everywhere in America I've been. It's all, you know, different character for different cities, so many different vibes. Miami, of course. I was going to say. That's my most vivid John B. memory. All like of my most vivid of John B. memories. <laughs> I think I lived there. Yeah, it was when I was walking up the beach and I saw you and you had, uh, I believe, and this is going to sound maybe blowing up your spot a little bit, but there was three girls with you and you were wearing hot pink short shorts <laughs> and an off, an off the shoulder, I forget what it said, it was like a very wham type t-shirt and you saw yes, me coming up and you had played buffalo fairly recently before that so you were like valiant mc <laughs> and like you said some sort of gibberish and your sunglasses were a little bit crooked in your face and oh you no just i went about your like way a pool party something. yeah <laughs> probably we were all a little yeah i mean there were definitely times up. there were definitely times i saw you at the beginning of conference and you you i was like how you been you're like i've been here for weeks and i'm like what <laughs> yeah I think I think there was three or four years in a row where um, I I'd always 
I don't know, I, I booked a hotel for a couple of weeks once or twice. Like I'd found a little guest house place on Collins that wasn't too expensive and had a little kit, a little like a fridge and stuff. Um, and then after, you know, that was quite expensive anyway, like probably two grand, two thousand dollars or two and a half to stay mm. for two weeks yeah. for that time. Like that's expensive. I mean, that wouldn't get you fucking two nights now. I was going to say. Yeah, um, and and I was like, shit, I'm sure I could like rent an apartment for a month for that or for less even. Mm. But this was before Airbnb and things like that. So um, I eventually found a couple of places and it. It was cheaper for me to re I rented this little studio somewhere sort of on the corner of a about like 12th and Collins. Uh, it was a bit, bit, bit shady, but it was all right. Um, rented right. that for two months one year and then used it as a tour base. Um, that was when Henry was my agent. Like that was, that was good. That worked well. And then um, a few other years, I just rented a little place in Miami for one month. And it was just nice for a little bit of a break. To, like it's early enough in the year then that I felt like I could reset a bit and didn't feel the pressure of like having to be in a studio for ages. And like the argument was like, being in America for that long would mean I could do more gigs and just do weekend gigs and I'd have somewhere to go go back to. So it worked all right, but no, I wouldn't no, be... No, well, I'm, I'm, like, I'm married now, so unless I brought my wife with me or something, it would be crazy just to be sat there on my own. We did, when for our honeymoon, um, we did, that was it. The last time I went to Miami, actually, was our honeymoon. We did the same oh, thing. Wow. Rented an apartment. It was in the Carlisle where I stayed for the last few times, um, that place on Ocean, mm -hmm. where they filmed mm -hmm. like Bird Cage and... Because they're, right, they're yeah. all a lot of them are like vacation apartments that you can rent for longer periods of time, and it's not they're really they're oh, nice. They're big and quite nice. They're not super modern, but they're they're good spots, and they've got washing machines and everything. So you, it's kind of the other argument is it saves money on going out and eating every bloody meal, and you know, like you just Miami, you just hemorrhaging money like oh. Cuban sandwich, Starbucks, sushi, like you can't can I just eat a fucking banana and have my normal breakfast? <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, so yeah, but yeah, last time I went to Miami, yeah, it was my honeymoon like five years ago and we stayed for a month in that place and it was cool. People uh, forget. I don't know how I feel about going back now. Like I, I start to like hate it and hate the people and all like it's waddling different. tourists and all the EDM fuckers and like, oh, it's very, it's very different now. I was literally just about to uh -huh. say about how much the, of the wild West Miami conference used to be back in the day mm -hmm. compared to yeah. what it is now. It's very organized EDM. Like yeah, now when I do gigs, I fly in, fly out. There's no like, let's hang There's out here. There's no reason Nothing to be against around it. as much. Yeah. But yeah, it's not, it's uh -huh. not what it used to be, which is not bad. You know, you know, it is. What I it love is. South beach when it's quiet. That was something that I liked when, when I stayed for a longer period of time. Lots of quiet time. When, when there wasn't something on that weekend. Yeah. And if you're up early, like it's when we were there for our honeymoon, it turned out they hadn't told us they were doing construction on the building for the whole month. Nice. And they started <laughs> at 9 a.m. So it meant we were getting up at 7 and just going to the beach to get the fuck out of there. Oh. And it was, I'd never seen that side of Miami before ever, like feeling more like a local, being up early, no one on the streets. The beach is quiet. No, like twats walking along with boom boxes going, hey, do you want a henna tattoo, guys? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can I play my guitar to you while perving on you? Like, oh, Lord. Um, so yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, hey, I, Mr. Brown in Toronto wanted me to ask you about, because I've been using my Chihuahua lately in some of my, some of my Instagram posts. He wanted, to ask me about, he wanted me to ask you about Chihuahua Records. What was the story with that? Yeah. God, well, I think I only did four or five releases on it. It was just meant to be an avenue to separate out my sort of Latin-inspired 
drum and bass. Um, again, just a bit fun. One of the more embarrassing um, sides of my musical output. Like there was some pretty. There's one called the Chihuahua theme that's pretty good. Una cerveza. I got Merly B to do the vocals on that. She was a Miami oh, native. Yeah, I haven't heard that name for a while. Um, but there was some like listening back to like listening back to salsa now. Some of those ones, fuck, like in the world of like cancelling people and shit, I'm just I'm waiting for my time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's people respect like, the hell out of it. Yeah. yeah, it was a know. fun shoot. It was done out of like trying to do. I was like, well, salsa and drum and bass and Tita Puente sounds and well the fact you that you're know, calling yourself oh, out like, first means you won't be cancelled don't worry about it oh, oh I don't yeah. know I don't know yeah, <laughs> travel back in time <laughs> and fucking the overlords of cancelling or travel back in time travel <laughs> John B and that John B character would that yeah. be it right <laughs> uh, hey, uh, so really loving always... your accent track that was fantastic go ahead that was not fantastic <laughs> I'm the worst at English accents please but um man I just like the fact that it, it feels like you are, are a solid 80s kid and um i always enjoyed most of those ideas that you even the videos which are off the chain every last one of them the the whole carefreeness of it all that feels like yes this is what everybody needs to hear and understand um but i got one question i asked this to frost and i was maybe you can give me an answer to this what exactly was new wave music back in the 80s? New wave. My dad asked me this recently because <laughs> um, he goes to this thing called the Vinyl Experience that they do uh -huh. in a local theatre where they, um, they, they have a really nice record player and a really nice sound system. And then, like, I know, 100 people go and they sort of talk them through a famous album or whatever. And they were going to do a new wave one. It's like, John, what's new wave? And like, I, I don't really... I always thought of new wave as the kind of American sound, oh. more more <laughs> guitars in it, um, like slight punk influences, mm -hmm. less electronic. Mm. Maybe flock yeah, yeah. of sea. Well, not even flock of seagulls, really. Um, yeah, I, I just think of it as the more American Echo Beach, Echo Beach far away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of yeah, like guitar-led American-centric. 80s yeah i mean it was a media it was it's, a media it was uh, a term, term created anyway. by industry probably at this yeah point. not even the industry i think i think it was like the media the industry watchers and the media that created it so it became like this thing that's why flock the seagulls can be new wave or not depending right. on who yeah. you're talking to because if we're talking about like the second <laughs> british invasion in the, in the 80s you know all the european cats that came out and then this happened right there it was just to play off all those amazing groups that came in, you know, your U2s, your Duran Duran, all those guys. And then something called New Wave, which I, I grew up thinking it was something that was coming out of London. So I've always just like, how come nobody talks about this part? And all it really sounds like to me is it's, it just was a melting pot of different styles of music that was yeah. going on at the time. And uh, nobody can describe it. So <laughs> we haven't gotten a clear answer from anyone. <laughs> one single person. To me, it's it's the like the American side of things, and I would say a bit more guitar-led, more American bands than English, definitely. Or I would just, say, I would say it's a bit like shrimp and prawns. It's like what Americans call the same thing. Mm. Like it's like 80s music. Mm. Uh, Here you go. Uh, apart from music, you you have clear. Um, cultural uh references in, in your work and and you know your your 
public persona and stuff like that. I mean, you've got uh, Jean-Luc Picard in a picture frame behind you. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things were like big influences on you growing up? Not music related. I mean, you can talk about music if you want, but I'm talking like other stuff like, you know, movies and TV and literature, whatever. What kinds of things mm -hmm. that were things that you really latched onto? I don't know, like the 80s movies stuff, I got into kind of after university. So I was like in my 20s. So that, mm -hmm. that would have been like, you know, 2000-ish. Mm -hmm. my, my love for the 80s kind of came after the 80s. Interesting. Um, a lot of it was when I'd started earning money DJing and um, had a bit more disposable money to buy music and CDs. And when Amazon started selling CDs, and I was just like, oh, yeah. I want all these CDs. And I remember just buying so sort of stuff and also touring America and going to Best Buy and be like, it's only $7 for an album. They're like £12.99 in England. I'd literally come back with DVDs and CDs. Holy sh... I bought so much stuff in, in America. Best Buy, I'd go in and I'd be like, ah! and, and people would be like, can I help you, sir? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just buying this whole fucking thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, kind of... Uh, a lot of it came from quite late in my life, that, that sort of stuff. Um, so that technology, bit of a nerd, still really am. Like when I get really excited about learning new things I can do sort of, that's why I've really got into streaming is just sort of learning like a green screen type of effects and special effects and all the video editing things. Um, like when I did that song called Get Stuffed last year, mm -hmm. I, I filmed and edited the whole video for oh, myself. Wow. Like, there's, you know, it doesn't look that mad really, but there's loads and loads of funny video effects and green screen things. And I sort of doing that video really helped me learn a lot of tricks and techniques and things. So now I've got them under my belt, I can kind of apply them to other stuff, which as things get more visual and video oriented, yeah. uh, it's, it's useful. Um, web design, you know, I do all my own web shit and mm. all of that and just getting to grips with, you know, even just Twitch, just doing that best practice and getting everything set up right and having all your emotes and logos and learning about setting up chat bots that are continuously posting links within the chat and, you know, Ooh, smart home shit, all that. Like, that seems to just take up all my time. Like, and then writing songs when they about them when they don't work. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> Getting angry at technology. That's my current thing, really. It's funny because yeah. Track and I uh, have been having these conversations back and forth as well because, you know, we've both been on the video editing train and Absolutely. I'm having this conversation with Rob the Soundbender. And it's, a, it's funny as a musician diving into this world and finding the similarities between the two and then like, yeah. oh, wow, we're opening up this whole new creative space. And uh, no, I'm not Michael Bay today, but like, I'm very proud of the things that I've done and then like how cool of a thing that that is to to find this new thing to create while it's always fun making new music like this is a completely different avenue that's just like sparks something different up. and like again the twitch thing and and it's funny because it's funny for me as and you as well which we talked about earlier as a gamer how in tune we were with twitch way before any of this anyway and like it's and almost like is like it's almost yeah. a smack in the face to myself that like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't take advantage like I wanted to <laughs> a long time ago. People are and like, how oh, my, would Twitch, be Twitch. Now. And I'm right. like, yo, Twitch has been around for a decade. <laughs> it's like, there's no, yeah. you know what I mean? But so, the audience has to be ready for it. And you know, like for sure. the Twitch audience is normally there looking for gaming content and stuff. Right. So 
to persuade music fans to go there is quite a hard ask. And I think it's, it's only now when all of us are all saying, hey, check out Twitch, that, right. you know, they're being told by lots of people to go and check out Twitch. So Twitch. I think it's a lot easier. And if you're the only man going, hey, come to Twitch, it's really good, check it out. They're like, right. what, what, what? <laughs> yeah. Twitch, Twitch. But even then, it's still worrying. It's huge, man. Twitch is, is gigantic. I mean, even one of the biggest categories on there is just chatting, which is, you know, what we broadcast on as well. Which makes me want to fucking give up everything I'm doing on there. <laughs> After always, spending the whole of lockdown, <laughs> making, if you haven't, I don't know if you've seen the Star Trek thing I yeah. did, like last week. If I did a DJ set, I'd set up all these different scenes. I'd photoshopped green screen areas into isolated frames of Star Trek videos had all loads of automatic all this all this complicated shit doing like it was really ambitious and it worked i had to run it on my like fucking super expensive mac pro to get it work like the amount of effort and technology <laughs> and infrastructure required and like it was so i didn't really advertise it i just went live i was like i'm doing a star trek stream point and you know hoped on it sort of going a little bit viral at the time um but you know i only got in terms of live viewers on Twitch, probably only peaked at 150 or something, which is mm. like, I'm, I'm sure when I actually hype something up in advance and do right. a stream, it'd be better. But you go to all that effort and make something so amazing and interesting and different and fun. And then you're like, oh, I'll just browse and look on just chatting. <laughs> and it's like, it's, Can you, you know imagine? what? It's, it's yeah, like, it's just one dude. Uh, thanks for the 75 biddies. Uh, <laughs> Hey there, you're um, yeah, my, I just, yeah, just got my hair done. Um, <laughs> like, it's like 375,000 people watching. You're like, what? people watching. What's going on? What the fuck? <laughs> and like, they're, they're trying desperately to sort of keep within the realms of like, because you're not supposed to attract attention to or objectify certain parts of the body under Twitch terms of service. Right. So it's, like how do you tread the line between like showing you've got massive boobs uh, and like but not being like having the camera directly on them and like i don't know i mean you gotta do what you gotta do and like i don't <laughs> want to criticize people like i would probably be doing that too if that was my vibe but it does make me sad when i'm trying to do something that requires a lot more effort than just being a bit sexy and going thank you for the 50 bitties Sexy big balls day. That's, that's like the whole creative, <laughs> the whole creative world, though, isn't it? It's just it's like even when you make like really elaborate tunes and you like you sit down. This is the tune I've been working on oh. for months. Yeah. I just didn't get it right, and you and you put it out. People are like, "Yeah, it's cool." And then yeah, you put yeah, out that yeah. tune. We're like, "This took 15 Hold minutes. On I'm just gonna throw this out, and it's the biggest tune ever." And you're like, "You know what? Like, I don't know what's wrong with you people, but I spent six months on this tune, and no one cares." Yeah, that, that's just the, the nature of the law, man. It's, it is what it stuff is. you love is not the people who are gonna like. It's just and the stuff that's just like, uh, I'll just do this. And all of a sudden, before you turn away, there's like a million people in mm. front of you. Like, what is this it's racket? Funny. What Discord, is going on? Discord was the same way, man. It's like this really powerful platform that people just wrote off for some gamer stuff, and it's ah. not. It's yeah. like a huge sub-community that people didn't yeah. even realize. I only just started a server last week. I've only just, just because I needed to use it for, for chat, for playing Escape from Tarkov with another person. I was like, oh, this looks quite good, Discord. So, right. I don't know it's good because it, it's i like the way it's not throttled and no advertising and like it can't no. be fucked around with the way facebook does and stuff so well, that's I that was that's quite promising. 
It's been a lot of people's alternative, to be honest with you. People left a lot of social media networks and they go into Discord and create the service. That's why there's a bunch of sub-communities there. You could literally look up on Reddit right now for literally anything you want to go to and no one deals with it. There's no toxicity. Everyone comes in. You can be booted from it if you're not, if you cause a problem. Like, it's a really, really great service that they did not pay me to say. (laughs) (laughs) I I I got booted from the Discord already. Oh, oh, oh Lord! All right, this, this is the Did story. Did you say this is a story. No, no. Somebody was 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 saying. Uh, basically, it came down to like someone didn't know the difference between electric and electronic, and this mm. is on an electronic this music forum. And I was like, "Are you serious?" Like, I was basically kind of like incredulous. Like, what are you talking? Are you like taking the piss right now? <laughs> and because I did that, because electric. I did that. They were like, now you're out of here. And I was like, <laughs> this man lasted two days on Twitter. He's gotten kicked off of Discord. No, hold just on, hold on. I stick to Instagram, Twitter, man. Just, just, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. Jesus. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's what I do. I, the question the only, needs to be asked. The question needs to be asked. You kind of dabbled in it, but. And that might have been the extent of it. And trust me, I, I enjoyed the accent anyway. But the question needs to be asked, what was behind Up All Night? Like, what was your motivation for um, It was a bit similar to... I did it before Blind Wagon Poos, didn't I? But it was similar in the respect. It Part of it was a reaction against stuff that was annoying me in the scene at the time. Mm. Um, really? And I felt it would be done better. Um, there'd be there was a, a bit of a wave of people making like old school hardcore influenced tracks, okay. but they mm-hmm. were basically just lifting the sam- the key sample and the key riff off a classic, and then just drum and bassifying it. You know, in some cases, just whacking like an amen break under it, and then you know, here's here's the stab and the riff from a big famous tune, and like da da. Um, and I was like, that's fucking like apart from the legalities and copyright of it, it's just a bit lame. Um, and I'd, I thought, well, you know, why don't I make a modern day drum and bass track that references all the old hardcore stuff, uses the elements that made those made the sound what it was then, you know, like beeps, high-pitched vocals, rave stabs, break beats, but try to put it together in a modern way with more modern techniques and uh, more modern arrangement and things. Um, and it, it came together really quickly. Uh, what made it really smash it was all the prep work I'd done on all the breaks. It was the first mm. track I made with all of those break beats. And it was when I'd got my first Apple Mac and I'd made the jump from using an Atari and samplers on their own to being able to load break beats and samples and stuff into a Mac and then like destructively edit the audio like with plugins and things to like make the breaks. I could just make the twist up the breaks in a way that I hadn't been able to before. So I'd spent the week before resampling loads of classic breakbeats and they're in feeding them through weird effects and stuff. And then I'd made map them all out on a keyboard so I could play the breaks with different trigger points of all mm. these different ones. So that was all the prep work that made it easy to then do the next step. Um, and I just was in the studio. I found the nice beeps that it starts with. Mm. Um, I'd found some, an acapella of vocals and, I, and it had just happened really quick sometimes in a studio for me um you just know you've got what you need and you're just right. like let's fucking smash it out and luckily this was back in the time before i overthink everything the way i do now and i just sort of 
it just put itself it sometimes there's this book i read called like the war of art recently um which was pretty shit but like one of its key <laughs> concepts was like if you're a, it, it was supposed to like help you break creative break writer's block and you know how to um have a good sort of work ethic as a creator and everything but there was one interesting concept they had that was when you're a, a creator and you know you're writing a book or a movie or a song or something a lot of people believe that when you're doing something truly really good it's almost like your body's taken over by a sort of weird divine force like Absolutely. if you ask anybody when you're really in state really you know you'll find this when you're on stage when you're really in flow and like everything's coming into your head to say and it's the perfect moment and everything it's like it's not you it's right. sort of something's coming through you and I, I get that occasionally if it's a really banging tune that just feels really good I almost like don't feel responsible sometimes it's just sort of weirdly it's like luck or something it's sort of and it was kind of like that it just happened really really quickly I mean it did come about because I was very well prepared I'd put loads of work in before making these breaks and getting the sounds together and I'd I guess in the back of my mind the concept had been coming together um but yeah it's, it's weird like when I'd make stuff now it doesn't happen that quickly at all and I overanalyze stuff and I think too much about it and then I'm conscious of how long I've already spent on the track and I'm like this is yeah. a waste of time they won't appreciate it and I don't need to say yeah, I that. think that comes with any veteran artist uh, you know after a while and you're you're always trying to one-up your last self right it's like every tune you make it's like I just want to be yeah. I want it to be better than not just not even just better than the last thing but even the process of when it has that click that yeah. aha moment yeah. you're like that's what you're chasing it's just like you can yeah. make really good music but if you didn't feel that click it's trash it's, it's just like and also oh. and like you'd be worried about um damaging your legacy as well like I facts i'm sure that's in my mind it's it's not a defining it's not real have, but it's one of the many fucking voices in my head when i'm trying to make music that limits my my activities is you know um is this song worth well generally i'm like is this song worth finishing will it add anything to the world will it help with anything you know mm. um, let's let's talk to about care that. or not to care pretty much yeah, yeah. it's a tough one look here's that's a why because at the beginning you introduced me you're like john b one of the most prolific producers <laughs> and, in, and in my head i'm like i used to be <laughs> like, <laughs> I, made, I, I made two tunes this year um, and it that comes about like from thinking about the mindset in the early days and not I was just completely focused on doing, making the music, doing what I wanted to do. And I didn't really care. I wasn't considering other people. Like right. I was more egocentric, like strong ego, thinking about yourself and your mission and what you're doing, not caring about what anyone thinks and just going with it. And I, st I still like just go with it and I don't give a fuck, but I, I, I consider so many more things nowadays and that really does affect my approach to music making. And it yeah. should do. I but think we, I acknowledge it though, but I think most artists after like a good couple of years start wondering more about not trying to sound like the old you and how much of the older should you take into the future. Yeah. And does it make sense? And um it's that's I think for me, that's the that's the balance that's really tricky of it all. Cause you don't want to keep doing the same thing. Even though even if it worked a yeah. hundred times, you would get bored of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You feel and like you're then, not progressing. Yeah, you'll feel like you're progressing, but you know, if it ain't broke sometimes, but you it's 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 nature for an artist to jump out of the box. You know what I mean? You always want to get out of there and do something 
totally off what you were doing and catch people off guard to uh, just, you know, I guess for our sanity, I guess, in sorts, our artistic sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's a question that always rumbles in my head all the time as well yeah. as how to be, how do I stay in, but not so far out. And, and, and how to sabotage yourself right. by, by trying just to satisfy yourself. Like, at some point you have to decide, am I just going to knuckle down and churn out what's expected of me now I'm in this position? Or do I hope that people stick with me while I experiment? And, you know, and, and as a DJ and performer and for you guys as well, you know, like when people have come to see you in the club, they are expecting you and what they know of you. Absolutely. And, sound and what you do. And if you suddenly switch it up, they're like, oh. That's not what I came here for. He's fallen yeah. off, you know. You got to sort of. That's that's why I'm fucking lucky. When I did my electro-y stuff, people, most people seem to stay with me. Right. Um, it could have gone the other way very fucking easily. Um, it's, very, it's very sad when it happens too. I've watched. I've watched numerous. I've watched dubstep guys do it too, and it's for. It's sad for them, in my opinion, because one, they're fairly new. Um, to the scene as a whole. So when you see them step out of that box and create something beautiful, I'm not going to name any specific names to around them. I will, screw it. Uh, Getter, for instance, um, however you feel about his music, he stepped aside to make something completely different. And his fan base tore him to shreds to the point mm. where he had to cancel his tour. And it was just like, damn, like that's wow. how quick, that, yeah. it's how quickly they can just turn on you because you yeah, didn't was, do the thing they hard. expected yeah. you to do. Like, yeah, every artist, whether you like Getter's music or not, every artist felt that. It yeah. was just like, and it's like the opposite sucks. of selling out. Yeah, it's completely the opposite of selling out and getting crushed for it. It's it's like mad. Like, crush people for selling out and like going and chasing the money and doing something cheesy. So right. If they go and try and do something interesting, exciting, and challenging you know, at least support, support them a bit as long as they, you know. And it was good. That was the (laughs) part about it. It was like, yo, like, and the music was dope. So it was like the antithesis of just churning out the same thing. He could have easily just made another whatever and tore it on it and everything would have been fine. But he was like, yo, let me tap into my experimental side, my artistic side. And he went to play Mm -hmm. it out. And they were like, what is this bullshit? You're like, yeah, what? (laughs) I guess guess that's, that must just say a lot about, his fans or the fans of the genre he was operating in and their mindset and how, yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, I was reminded last night that uh, today's fans are pretty impatient people. The tolerance levels are really short. And that's something that I, I, I'm now rebelling against because I feel like it shouldn't be short anymore. I just, I just listened to a mm-hmm. long ass album. I've been talking about it for the last two weeks of Blue and Exile. And, um, I listened to it actually. Yeah, and it's yeah. long, but it's long yeah, it for the, with a purpose. It it has it takes you through distant journeys. It's explaining a part of personal. He's also all philosophical, and then it just has a moment of miles going on in there. And I say, how else can you listen to this album? I'm not going to sectionize each piece. You have to listen to the whole thing, be it 90 minutes long. You know what I mean? And 90 minutes long shouldn't feel brand new to two people in music. You know what I mean? That, that is a that's a product of snack culture. We've kind of like put ourselves right. as a whole, as a society, into this position of everything needs to be fast, immediate, quick, in portions. We're releasing singles every five seconds. Nobody's putting together full albums. It's coming back around, which is a beautiful thing. But you know, that's it. 
it was almost I consider that rat race no different than the fact that people have to work two jobs to support their kids and you know what I mean like that whole the whole way society is just turned into this non-stop don't stop and smell the roses situation um I feel it all goes into the same bag so it, it's really difficult but, and I am glad it's coming though, back at what point do you think um, I mean, knowing what we know about the way audiences are, how fickle they are, <clears throat> um, and how, I, I don't want to call it, I don't want to say disloyal, because I don't, no, I feel like a fan should have loyalty, but knowing how easily an audience, continue. well, knowing how an audience can, can turn quickly, um, how much do you think an artist can prevent a lot of that ahead of time? I mean, if you look at certain, there are certain artists who have grown and evolved and changed and their audience their audiences have generally either come with them or accepted this particular output as i mean if you look at okay like, let's say like an artist like beck <clears throat> beck has maintained um a variety of sounds throughout his repertoire i'm not a big beck fan but if you look at like what Beck's known for, which is that sort of like folky, gritty kind of lo-fi sample based, you know, white boy kind of hip hop that's like you know, almost hippie-ish. But he's also got like um, stuff that's completely outside those boxes. And his audience is there for it. And I don't know if it's because he puts those things out on different, on like, you know, on different labels. So basically like what amounts to like different platforms. Um, if you look at, um, if you look at DRS, like DRS has done pretty much exactly what he wants to do at all times, generally. Um, at what point does an artist have to take responsibility for his own audiences or her own audiences kind of turning their back on them? Like, is there, is there stuff that they can do to mitigate it ahead of time? Like, how, do, how does, how does one navigate that, those waters? I'll let John, John, you're going to say something. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think I have I don't know. I, I, I don't have any answer to that. Like I, I did literally in the last week or so, I've got more interested in really studying like the analytic, the digital analytics and metrics and stuff on all my platforms and like keeping an eye on the numbers and seeing what's growing and what isn't and trying to understand that and like try to, you know, if see where jumps in numbers are going up, see what activity caused that to happen. And then also just trying to get more on top of using all that data and tracking and stuff to target people and things. Like, I don't do much of that now at all, um, but I'm going to dabble in it as one of my friends is a really, really talented web internet guy and uses this thing called HubSpot that is just a crazy like funneling, you know, all the cookie tracking and all that stuff. Um, so that's the modern way of doing your best to keep people um engaged by keeping pinging them and everything but my only solution is i mean all you can do is be yourself try to make good music try to perform well try to be nice to people don't be a twat oh lord try to be approachable like try to you know maintain good communities online on whatever platforms there are at the time and just that's all you can do isn't it really like yeah. just try and do everything as much the best you can and like when you're when you're a one-man band it's a lot of struggle and a lot of time um the alternative when you're bigger is you just have a team that does it and 
does a weird fake version of it that has that works right. even better and then you're more free to make music and go and drive race cars or whatever you do when you're <laughs> producing or something. So like it's basically that either either do it or genuinely organically or have an expensive team that do it on your behalf to make it look like it's you oh my god i love my fans okay thanks for joining up to the team you know right. create think of a name for your fans like Machine. little monsters like go lady gaga and you know or the sort of successful musicians all seem to have a little tagline they use for their fans and a hive. <laughs> it's nice it's nice but it's also when you see it now it just seems cynical because it's sort of best practice for being a pop star you know take this do this do this do this and do this like, sort of model, modeling successful behavior that people have just done through genuineness in the past but i think i think uh, a lot of it too is kind of just re this revolving door of what we've been having in this conversation because i believe artists like beck who have been around for a while back in the day when artists did that you can talk about outcasts and numerous numerous yeah. artists who have completely switched over the years back then you had the time to educate your fan base as well you could take a bit yeah. of time off and then leak some things here and ease into the situation you can't do that anymore people are a lot less tolerant to right you know yeah, so no, or, or that's the way it feels to us anyway that right. it may not be true but it might not I think just coming, yeah coming from like the ipod the ability to quickly switch and shuffle between all tracks that started the trickle effect of which like, doesn't correct. exist right now almost right well, well no yeah. but it does in the yeah. sense of spotify is just basically right. it's all the same thing it's, it's all the same thing that you can skip you know, through yeah, whatever yeah. and that's yeah. became an issue too is we, that no one again no one created albums anymore everything was a, sing, a single like there were just a bunch of singles on a tune like there was that's why i loved kendrick so much because when i finally sat down and listened to good kid mad city from beginning to end it was a movie Woo! you know what i that's mean like it, it was that's just yeah, yeah. so like the, the new denzel curry or um i'm, I'm naming a bunch of hip-hop stuff right now obviously but but i that's... need you to can you make me a nice playlist or just give Absolutely. me a list of some albums <laughs> oh, yeah. to recommend because well, i don't really well, listen to much modern hip-hop or anything i don't know i mean I, I know all those names you're mentioning but i just i haven't really i'd like to just sit down and like listen to the kendrick lamar album and fucking take it in and see what's going on and i've yeah kendrick's I got don't a waste of my time and listen to the wrong ones if you know what i mean yeah no for yeah, sure yeah there's a and uh we've we've mentioned this a lot too um and i believe this is music as a whole i've had this conversation with with behind many closed doors and out in the open as well i believe um even pre-COVID, that substance is really coming back to music in a way that um, I don't think yeah. a lot of people expected, and especially in hip hop. And now that COVID, one thing COVID did do to music is it made everyone sit down and like really listen. There are a lot of artists who I've seen out there who, I'm not going to name any names because of this comment, but they make a lot of microwave shit. And ever since they've had to sit down and like, we're like, okay, well, I'm not making this for this anymore. Let me really tap into my musical side. It's just <laughs> like really quiet. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like. It's a natural reaction to sort of the feeling of saturation. And when you feel like there's so much music out there that is meaningless and is churned out, the people that really care, like creators and artists, that it, it really means something to them are going to make more of an effort. I mean, you, you always would, but like you're, more conscious that what you do 
has got to change things somehow and like stand out like if in a world of like when i go through my one of the things when i'm streaming going through promos every week is just to give people an idea of how many bloody tunes are just churned out all the fucking time (laughs) they're all good they're all good but a lot of them sound the same and like that's another reason why i'm not as prolific as i used to be because i'm like well, what's you know? As soon as something starts sounding a bit like all of that, I'm like, well, why am 